2: And June
3: 30th, 2024. Welcome into the NFL Report. James Palmer with you. And look who it is. It's Jane Slater filling in for Steve Weich on this Thursday edition. Thursdays are always great, Jane. You picked a perfect day to come in here and sub at for Steve Weich.
4: Well, this has been one of my favorite shows on our platforms that we've rolled out. It really allows us to sort of deep dive and open up our note. But because you know this, James, as someone who's out in the field, we get so much information and only so much time in the course of a show. So, so much to talk about, particularly when you consider the fact that we're already almost through a quarter of the football season. Find that hard to believe.
3: Yeah, big time. And if I got some baggy eyes and you're watching this, I was up late at Red Rocks watching Burt Kreicher just dominate two hours plus of comedy. He was just like, I'm emptying the notebook. I'm at Red Rocks, baby. This is the greatest venue in America. I'm going to go forever, and he did go forever. Thankfully, my sister-in-law was watching uh, our son Nixon for an extended period of time as we rolled in well after midnight. But we're going to power through because I'm dynamite. I'm excited for this show. we got Pep Hamilton, Jane, who's been an offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach in this league for a long, long time. He has an unbelievable take on the evolution of the quarterback position in this league over the last couple of years. Baldy joins us like he does every Thursday. We're going to have Judy Batista talking about the Nathaniel Hackett Bowl uh, between the Jets and the Broncos. MJ Acosta Ruiz is going to join us as well, talk some international games. But let's get to the big one. This is a playoff game in Week 5, Jay, and that doesn't happen very often between the 49ers and the Cowboys. We know the history these two teams have. When I say a playoff game in Week 5, it's a measuring stick game in the eyes of the man himself, Jerry Jones.
5: They are right now uh, probably the uh, most likely team to uh, go in the Super Bowl. And, uh, but in order for them to get there, they've got to go by us, uh, hopefully two times, uh, if that's the way it falls in the playoffs. And we're in the playoffs, of course. But the bottom line is that uh, uh, you, you're playing the best. Uh, this is a, uh, a certainly uh, you don't need the game to tell you that you're playing the best. But you need the game to uh, show you uh, how you stack up against the best.
4: James, you know, it's fascinating listening to Jerry Jones there. You know, we look at the, we look at the 49ers as the better team just to, because of what we've seen in the postseason, right, and their 4-0 record. I would argue if the Cowboys had won that Cardinals game and more of a decisive faction, we might have a little bit of a different conversation about the Cowboys this week. But when you look at this team on paper, James, these are very similar teams right now. I was actually shocked by this, and this is how myopic you get when you're covering teams, you know this, but points per game, Cowboys 31, 49ers 31.3. Uh, Points per game allowed, Cowboys 10.3. You've got the 49ers 14.5. You know, and the points differential, 83 for the Cowboys, 49ers uh, 67. So on paper, it certainly feels like they're fairly evenly matched. But I don't know about you, James. I cover this Cowboys team, and I just don't – maybe I don't respect their roster as much as I should – When I look at some of their offensive weapons, and I'm starting with Brock Purdy, I'm starting with Brandon Ayuk, I'm talking about George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey I feel like is truly in a league of his own. Uh, What are your thoughts there? Again, you would think me covering this team, I would have a different perspective, but maybe it's just from watching how the Cowboys have collapsed in epic fashion in the postseason the last two years that maybe I feel the slight edge goes to the 49ers right now.
3: Yeah, I'll start with the 49ers, Jane, and and I really look at Brock Purdy, obviously, the way he's been running this team. He hasn't lost as a starter uh, in a regular season contest since he became their starting quarterback. You mentioned all the weapons he had. When they were able to come out last week, be so dominant, when George Kittle didn't have a catch or, I believe, a target. Debo had, I think – actually, Debo had no targets. Kittle had one target, and you can be that dominant as an offense. I think what stands out to me, and I'm curious what happens in Week 5 – is how they run the football though. We've seen Christian McCaffrey put himself in the MVP race by the way he's run the football. We know how versatile he is, but you go back to that playoff game and they did not run the football successfully in the first half. What did they do? They stuck with it, Jane, in the second half. And I think they ran the ball for 80 plus yards in the second half against this Cowboys talented defense. That's what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to go out there and take that pass rush that Dallas has and kind of negate it by running the football well, and they stuck with the run game. They made a lot of adjustments at halftime. I think the cat and mouse chess game that goes on between Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn is going to be one that just we all should get the popcorn ready and be able to just enjoy because the adjustments and tinkering that goes on between those two I think is going to be the part we're going to really watch, and we saw that Kyle Shanahan's second uh, half adjustments actually came out on top a little bit in that playoff game. We'll see what happens in this one on Sunday.
4: You know, James, when you talk about some of those adjustments as it relates to maybe the run defense for Dan Quinn. Micah Parsons alluded to it a little bit this week and we talked about how do you how do you contain Christian McCaffrey? Well, the way you contain him is likely you're getting him at that second level. You know, obviously, you're going to put a linebacker on him, but you've got to make sure maybe you've got a DB on him as well because the game could get out of hand. And I don't know what to make of this run defense. You know, they spent a lot of time in the offseason bulking it up. You got Jonathan Hankins back. You added Mozzie Smith there in the middle to give you a little bit more meat. But while against the Jets, they really limited Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall. Against the Cardinals, they gave up 222 Mm. rushing yards, 82 of those in the first half. And so, again, I don't quite know what to make of that Cardinals game. If it was just this outlier and there was this emotional disconnect because they lost Trayvon Diggs that week. Or if they've just sort of not played great opponents so far. I mean, when I look at the Cowboys, they've got the Giants. They played the Jets without Aaron Rodgers. Uh, They obviously just played the Patriots who benched their starting quarterback. Uh, late in the third quarter and so I don't know if I've still got a true sense of what this team is I mean you look at who this the San Francisco 49ers have played so far the Steelers the Rams without Cooper Cup mind you uh, the Giants and the Cards and so I think this is a really good game and to bring this all back to what Jerry Jones said it may not tell you who's the best but it'll tell you how the Cowboys at least stack up against the best.
3: And to me, Jane, I think that's really falling on the shoulders of one person. And I think it's Dak Prescott. I think we know both these defenses are two of the best in all of football. It's kind of funny going into this game. We talk so much about Dan Quinn and Micah Parsons. It's like, I don't know, Nick Bosa just won Defensive Player of the Year. I think this is a pretty damn good defensive front that the San Francisco 49ers have with the addition of Javon Hargraves, who's done tremendous on the inside part of that. I think on Dak Prescott's shoulders, does he protect the football like he has in these first four games? I think if they lose the turnover battle, it could be difficult. We'll get into the red zone issues that they've had coming up a little bit further. Baldy's going to break that down brilliantly a little bit later in the show, so stick around for that. And I just think Dak Prescott has to finish games strong. You look at the way both of these games ended the last two years. It ended the Cowboys' season. Two drives to end each of those games, Jane. No points in all four of those drives for this Dallas offense as they ended uh, their season at the hands of the 49ers in each of those games the last two years. Let's move on to if you remember Jane in in the end of Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks is on the bridge with Matt Damon and all of a sudden all hope is lost and all of a sudden the I think P-51s come flying in, tank busters as Matt Damon calls them, that's reinforcements right there coming in. There's a lot of teams after week four coming off of IR and because of suspension, teams are getting reinforcements. The number one guy we're looking at is Jonathan Taylor potentially could play this Sunday but let's look at it on a bigger scale because Jonathan Taylor everything that's surrounded this wanting a trade just sitting out all of training camp the ankle issue he was a chance he had a chance to speak to the media on Thursday and we're getting a sense of where Jonathan Taylor is mentally listen to this do you want to be a coach?
0: oh listen like I said I'm here right now and my number one thing is to take care of my teammates um a lot of people worry about what I want, what I want. doesn't matter what necessarily I want. What matters is what this team needs, what this team wants, what this city wants and what this city needs. And what this city needs is a championship. And, and while I'm here, that's what I'm going to work my tail off to do. That's what I work my tail off to get the opportunity to do.
3: I'm looking at the coaching job, Jane, that Shane Steichen to- has done so far this season. Unbelievable, right?
4: It is unbelievable, and you have to ask yourself for Jonathan Taylor. He says he's doing it for his teams. Was he doing it to put enough of a resume together that maybe the Colts find themselves trading him? I mean, Zach Moss has done a really nice job for them in Indianapolis, but I, I can only imagine that he would help a guy like Zach Moss, a guy like Anthony Richardson. When we look at his numbers, I mean, he's had close to 4,000 yards rushing, 33 touchdowns in the last, seasons, uh, last three seasons. If they can get him mentally, Uh, to check back in physically he's good to go but mentally can he check back in i think that that would be huge for the indianapolis colts Uh, moving ahead let's talk about some other uh, players that are returning we've got Jamison williams the wide receiver out of detroit missed those four games uh from gambling uh james i can only imagine what he is going to add i mean if you listen to some of these guys some of these detroit lions guys were doing a podcast earlier this week and just talked about their excitement to be able to add him to the lineup because he helps take attention off of some of these these other these other guys that are looking to have big numbers and big seasons.
3: I look at this, Jane, and I go, "All right, who benefits the most from Jamison Williams' return coming off of that suspension? Remember, which was shortened to four games from six games because of the change in the gambling policy." And I can't pick just one person. I, you could say it's Jared Goff and go, "Yeah, this opens up an offense for that's already ranked in the top ten in almost everything." Oh, this is great for I don't know, Brad Johnson running this offense as the offensive coordinator. I, I, ben Johnson? No, I, I, I would say that helps him. I would say it helps Amon-Ra Brown. I think it helps their rookie tight end. I think it helps us entire offense because having a legitimate deep threat, Jane, with the speed that Jamison Williams has, makes everything easier on how they develop explosive plays as an offense. They've actually been one of the better teams in football this season so far with explosive plays, downfield plays, 20-plus-yard type plays, but it really has taken a lot to draw those up, scheme them up in a sense, and I think they're actually going to be easier to get explosive plays as an entire group because you now have a deep threat that defensive coordinators need to respect, and it opens things up in the middle of the field. Amara St. Brown might be the one that actually benefits from, the, from this the most, one of the most underrated top-tier receivers we have in this league. I think this might take one of the better offenses we have in football right now to a whole nother level if he plays up to what the expectations were when he was drafted. We haven't seen that yet at the NFL level coming off the ACL and now this, but it would take it to a whole nother level if they had this element added to this group. There's some excitement in Detroit.
4: Well, and it was David Montgomery and those guys talking about his stride length and how uncoachable that is. and. You know as much as you're saying i think it helps the passing game i gotta think it helps their their run game you can't load the box True. when you've got those two type of wide receivers uh, out there on the field and let's not also forget about some of the titans that you have to consider uh, in detroit so this to me is just added value not dissimilar from when we start looking at the return of von miller to the buffalo bills uh, i think you and i are kind of mm. of the same opinion here james elf on the shelf Why do we need to pull him out just now? I know he's anxious to get back out there. I loved his quote this week, James. He said, it was like riding a bike, an old bike, (laughs) but he is ready to rock. But this pass rush in his absence has been really, really impressive, which goes back to why no need to rush him back. Not now when you've got these next two opponents, what Jacksonville, the Giants.
3: Yeah, exactly right, Jane. I I think this is uh, finally for the Buffalo Bills in terms of their pass rush, they're looking at things in terms of a luxury as opposed to when can Vaughn come back. If you remember after he was lost after Thanksgiving, it was an issue with getting to the quarterback and pressuring the quarterback. Now this front seven has played brilliantly. Once again, to tease my man Brian Baldinger, he'll be breaking down this front seven a little bit later in the show about why they've been playing so well. Now you have a luxury in Von Miller with so many different players getting pressure, rotating so many guys up front. This reminds me of the other defensive dominant lines in the NFL right now. When you look at San Francisco, you look at Philadelphia, they're so deep as a group, Jane, right? And you can maybe have the luxury if you're bringing Von Miller back, maybe a little sooner than some people would like to say. You might be able to put him in a position. I remember having this conversation with the veteran pass rusher Brandon Graham for the Philadelphia Eagles recently. It was, you can come out and be dominant, be fresh, be energetic on the snaps that you do play because you're not overplaying snaps early because everything's deeper up front. And you need Vaughn Miller healthy, For what? The postseason, getting after these AFC quarterbacks in the postseason with the mentality of a Super Bowl that he's been to twice and won two of them that they needed to bring into the building. I'm fine being patient, but this is a great reinforcement for the Buffalo Bills.
4: And credit to them, the fact that you've had uh, Greg Rousseau, Leonard Floyd step up. I mean, they're leading the league in sacks right now, so... This to me is just cherry on top. Speaking of cherry on top, I think uh, we've got some really great sounds from Sean McVay, James. You know, we always say, you and I, we've worked in the local TV markets and uh, you always want emotional sound, but if you don't get emotional sound, how about some iconic sound?
0: He's going to go through practice today. Um, We're going to see exactly what that looks like, but um, it says limited. He's not going to be limited. I mean, you know, so I just read, I was like Ron Burgundy just reading off the damn uh, injury report. So he's going through a normal practice. Um, You know, we'll see how he's feeling and, uh, you know, we'll progress him as the week goes.
3: You look at this, Jane, and I look back to when it was Robert Woods alongside Cooper Cup. And not when they both were dominant, because there was a time when they were both dominant. There was a period when Cooper Cup went and took that next step, became arguably the best receiver in a lot of people's eyes in the NFL. And what happened, as my man Steve Smith used to call it, you become decoy Leroy, as Steve Smith always says. And that's (laughs) what happened to Robert Woods going on as the running mate with Cooper Cup. I'm interested to see if that similarity happens with Puka Nakua. I don't think it does. I think there is a difference in the way that they see Puka and talking to people there, they believe, Jane, that they have a role for both of them. And I think Sean McVay has been creative enough. I'm very excited to see what these two can do together because Puka also loves to do the dirty work, loves to block, loves to grind, loves to find things in space. His football IQ and understanding the other positions on the field, I think helped out tremendously for what his role will be next to Cooper Cup.
4: It's actually scary for that division, James, when you consider putting both of those guys out there because as an opposing defense, you have to give attention to Cooper Cup, and that does free up a guy like Puka. So it would be fascinating to see both of these guys on the field and how creative Sean McVay does get.
3: Oh, how creative does Sean McVay get? That's like music to everyone's ears that loves football. And everybody who loves football loves Judy Batista, who's going to come down and break down the Nathaniel Hackett Bowl coming up. That's Jets-Broncos next on the NFL Report. Who's got the most pressure on them? Judy will tell us.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
1: Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
6: It made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league... Is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year? I thought it was way out of line and appropriate. And I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth.
3: That's Aaron Rodgers, if you remember from training camp, talking about the comments from Sean Payton about maybe Aaron's favorite coach of all time, Nathaniel Hackett. We're now joined on the NFL Report by Judy Batista. Judy, I know you and I, during training camp, I think, talked about this maybe on a daily basis. Uh, You're from the Jet side in New York and me in Denver. I think it was a daily occurrence. So much juice for week five. And then the Aaron Rodgers Achilles happens. Where are we right now? Does this game still have steam?
7: Uh, First of all, I'm watching that and I'm thinking like, oh, what might have been? After that happened, after he said (laughs) that, I texted somebody in the Jets organization. I said like, I look forward to Aaron's 500-yard, five-touchdown performance in week five. Like he looked like he was just going to light the Broncos on fire. Oh, well. Um, I think it does still have a little juice um, for the Jets. Uh, Nate Hackett actually talked to reporters today and like, you know, tried to deflect all questions. Doesn't want to talk about it. It's not about him. About the guys on the field he did say that he has not had any contact with Sean Payton and there was never an apology so I do think um internally uh the Jets would like to have Nate Hackett's back it's obviously nowhere near what it would have been if Rogers was on the field the, the Jets have bigger issues to worry about quite frankly so do the Broncos they've got stuff to worry about too but I you know I, I think the Jets still would like to um show like yeah Nate Hackett knows how to coach and actually I thought you know his He and Zach Wilson and their marriage uh, last week against the Chiefs gave you an indication that maybe Mm. that marriage is starting to come together. So hope for the future.
4: Judy, don't you find it fascinating that when we talk about everything that Sean had to say about Nathaniel Hackett, and Sean has a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, Hackett doesn't have a quarterback, albeit Zach Wilson showed some signs of strength I guess if that's what we want to call it last week against the Chiefs that they're both sitting here with a one and three record in the absence of having a guy that's a Super Bowl winning quarterback we'll say Zach Wilson how much would you say they have to lean on this running game particularly against this Broncos defense this week how much is this a game for Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook
7: well, I thought it really importantly, Robert Sala said this week, there's no more pitch count for Brees Hall. And that is like Let's the best go. possible news because that is how they want to play. Like as soon as, as Aaron Rodgers went down on the fourth snap of the season, you could see how they wanted to play. They wanted to run the ball. They wanted to lean on that defense, which played extraordinarily well against the Buffalo Bills. Um, and then Zach occasionally would you know make a play. Um, and, and they've been they've been unable to do that. They haven't been running as consistently. Now that Brees Hall is fully healthy, um, that is big for them, especially as you said against the Broncos' defense that has been shredded. Um, this would seem to be a uh, a good week for the Jets to play the Broncos because I think they got Zach Wilson into a little bit of a groove, right? They they figured out what he does well and what he's comfortable with against of all teams the Chiefs but they were getting them out of the pocket Um, they were letting it rip a little bit you know against the Patriots which was just a dreadful game for the Jets offense Mm. they were so conservative they were playing scared. He was playing scared. I think uh, Hackett was calling a scared game. They were so afraid of making mistakes that they were, like, constricted. And I think against the Chiefs, they said, like, you know what? Let's just open it up a little bit. And they got him out of the pocket uh, a little bit. He used his legs. He's a really good athlete. And then you you could see his confidence grow as he was hitting some of these passes against the Chiefs. This feels to me, if, if you're the Jets, all you want now to see is consistency. You want to see if Zach Wilson can string two games together because that's been a big problem for him. He's shown flashes, but there hasn't been consistency. So this is a pretty good opponent, a team that is struggling too, particularly on defense. This is a good opponent for the Jets this week.
3: It certainly is, Judy. I'm Talking to people in the Chiefs organization, they were pretty impressed, actually, with the way Nathaniel Hackett set Zach Wilson up to succeed. One note on the Broncos before we move on to those Chiefs is, being in the facility this week, the Randy Gregory release, in my opinion, talking to players, seems to have overshadowed this game, Judy, tremendously because it almost put players on notice going, this guy got, what, $70 million last off season, and they just up and released him before week five? oh, this is Sean Payton's team. He didn't bring in Randy Gregory. We're all now on notice in this locker room. That's actually the focus in Denver right now if you were talking to players with the Broncos. Now, I mentioned the Chiefs. Let's move forward, Judy, because you and I were talking offline going, it's almost like the defending Super Bowl champs are flying under the radar through the first portion of this season, and there's a bit of an issue going on with the passing game. A lot of new pieces around Patrick Mahomes. He (laughs) blames himself. It's not on Patrick Mahomes.
7: It's not on Patrick Mahomes. Um, but first of all, let me back up and let's be candid about what I said to you when you said, let's talk about the struggles of the Chiefs offense. And I was just like, seriously? Like, I live in New York with the Jets and Giants. <laughs> like, Jets and Giants fans would kill to have these problems right now. It's it's not Patrick yeah. Mahomes' fault. I appreciate it. It's perspective. Right. It's all relative, people. Um, of course, he's going to say like he was trying too hard. He did make some ill-advised passes against the Jets. The Jets have a really good defense, a really, really good secondary. He made two passes that he certainly should not have made that led to the interceptions. It's not him. They're they're trying to integrate new receivers, young receivers, um, and, you know, it takes a while. I believe they lead the league in drop percentage, which is obviously not mm-hmm. where you want to be. But again, uh, we're only coming into week five now. And I think if you look around the league, you see teams using the the games in September as an extension of like training camp and preseason to like evaluate themselves, figure out what they've got, figure out what they do well, what they don't do well, get that out of the playbook. And then you go forward. Um, And I I mean, I certainly would not worry about about the Chiefs. It's September and they're three and one. I, I was at the Eagles game last week and the same thing they finally had a good passing performance but going into that game all of Philadelphia was like you know what's wrong with Jalen Hurts well nothing's wrong with Jalen Hurts it's gonna be fine they're just working their way into the season Mm -hmm. as long as you are still winning games while you're figuring things out and in the Chiefs case while you're incorporating young receivers it's fine like get back to me in December um, if if they're still not being productive and the key thing I think also is Is Kadarius Tony going to get healthy and assert himself as the number one receiver there? Because that's, you know, probably what you would expect or would have hoped to have happened by now. And it hasn't happened. Giants fans could probably have a few things to say about that as well, frankly.
4: (laughs) James, you cover the Chiefs a lot. Do you see Andy Reid? I know that Patrick Mahomes loves to sling the ball. They love to play backyard football, him and Travis Kelsey. But is there a way to help this offense out by getting Isaiah Pacheco a little bit more involved in this offense? Do you see that happening as we move along and they, they start getting a feel for some of their personnel in the absence of guys like Tyreek Hill uh, on this roster?
3: Yeah, I mean, having the running game actually perform well in an Andy Reid offense is Judy almost a luxury, right? It's something that you go, oh wow, we can run the ball a little bit. All right, that'll help us out as we go through some of these growing pains. When I talk to people in the building, Jane, you're right. It it is this. They've been shooting themselves in the foot. Too many penalties hurting themselves in moving backwards repeatedly as an offense, and then really just not being on the same page in terms of timing and all those things. It's gonna be Kadarius Tony as their number one. It's just he missed all of camp. He missed all of preseason, as Judy mentioned, getting healthy with the toe. And then you have Sky Moore. They thought he'd take a jump. He hasn't yet. I think one of the things that we always see with the Chiefs as we wrap this up is they get better as the season goes on. And it happens usually on the defensive side of the ball, Judy. And I think this year it might be happening on the offensive side of the ball where they hit their stride as the season moves on and continues. Speaking of moving on, Judy, appreciate the time. As always, we need to move on because we have an international game coming up on Sunday. Jane, do you want to know what it is? It's NFL action with the Jaguars and the Bills live on NFL Network on October 8th at 9.30 a.m. Also streaming on NFL Network with NFL nfl plus sign up today at plus.nfl.com terms and conditions do apply speaking of overseas and the jaguars here's richard graves my good buddy over there in london
8: The Jags have been in London for a week now, having beaten the Atlanta Falcons at Wembley on Sunday, and some of the players have used the time available to them at the start of the week to go into the city and see some of the sights here, but the coaching staff have been at pains to point out that players are creatures of habit, and to that end, they've tried to keep the schedule and daily routine as close to the norm as possible. Some good news for the Jags to come out of practice today. In the open portion available to the media, both wide receivers Zay Jones and Jamal Agnew were present. As for the Buffalo Bills, well, they've got some concerns over the fitness of past rusher Greg Rousseau, who's dealing with a sore foot. For Von Miller, as he tries to work his way back from an ACL tear, it's a softly, softly approach. And for head coach Sean McDermott and quarterback Josh Allen, they've both admitted that this weekend is something of a venture into the unknown. Neither have ever been to the UK. Sean McDermott, in fact, calling himself a homebody. And to that end, they're both relying heavily on the sports science staff to see them through this weekend as they prepare to fly into London due to arrive here on Friday morning. <sighs>
3: I miss seeing Richard Graves every time I go overseas. But I you get to see MJ Acosta Ruiz right now, hey. who's going to spend a lot of time overseas, I'm being told, I believe, right, MJ? As we continue our international binge here in the middle of this <laughs> NFL season, if you could just kind of, MJ, break down what's happening, not just in London, but some other places that we haven't seen NFL games, and we might be seeing NFL games.
9: Yeah, there's a big, big push, as you guys know, uh, to really grow the game outside of the U.S. We've seen so much growth in London over the past decade, plus Mexico, of course. We've seen those games there in Estadio Azteca, now Germany. But there's a lot of buzz going into Spain and Brazil as well. So our whole NFL international team really making a big push because they're responding to the demand for it in those countries. So that's an exciting part, things that we could could see uh, in just a couple of years. I think, guys, that we should um, call dibs now for the Brazil and the Spain games, I'm just saying.
3: All over it. (laughs)
4: What are you being told right now about just we saw how exciting the German games were last year. Obviously yeah. the games will be in Frankfurt uh, this year. The London games have had such an impressive uh, showing. What do you think the appetite is going to be for it this year coming off of such a big year last year when we sent all the crews over there?
9: Yeah, I think last year it was sort of the litmus test, right? All right, let's see how much more we've really expanded into a country like Germany, right? Where soccer to us, football to them, is really the main driver there. And I think what we saw with ticket sales going within minutes, just the amount of people in the queue trying to buy these tickets, it just showed how much of an appetite there really is um, for these games all throughout um, the the European countries there. So I think that now this year, I think we'll even see more um, American fans go over there because who doesn't want to plan a trip around their favorite NFL team, right? I would say, say less. Mm. We're going to Frankfurt? Cool. I got to see the Dolphins over there. We're going over there. The Chiefs are going to be there. I mean, it's just an, an incredible opportunity, not just for the fans overseas, but for the U.S. fans to experience their teams in a completely different way.
3: I was just in Frankfurt this summer. I thought about staying through this first Frankfurt game. I tried to swing it somehow, but it didn't really, didn't really happen. Clock updates, what? James. Real, real, I know, right? Real quick, what do you think about this matchup coming up Sunday, specifically mm-hmm. here uh, in London?
9: Yeah, I mean, I love this Jaguars and Bills game that we heard uh, Richard Graves talk about it. The Jaguars have been there since week four. That is a massive advantage that cannot be discounted because that jet lag, as you guys know, is a very, very real thing. Plus, the Jaguars have this momentum coming off of this dominant win 23-7 to over the Falcons. But the Bills are not the Falcons, okay? <laughs> this is a completely different mm-hmm. team. <laughs> and really, the flight from New York to London is, what, about five hours? That's the same as coming from the West Coast all the way to the east coast so not an easy trip for sure but certainly doable and one that the bills aren't going to be that dissimilar with um the jaguars do have a lot of teams and what i love about the jaguars and what i saw last week it really seems like their offense is clicking christian kirk evan ingram calvin ridley all of those guys really getting involved um, in everything that's going on offensively there and then of course the josh allen bowl who doesn't love that two josh allens in one game and the last time they had each other's number, very excited
3: I think it was my favorite play of last year when Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen. Football, I think it was MJ. like my favorite part. <laughs> it was phenomenal. MJ, appreciate it. It was great to see you. Enjoy all your international travel. If you need a companion, Thank Jane and I are available. Uh, just let us know if you need some uh, assistance down. overseas. <laughs> Appreciate it, MJ. Passport ready. Coming up MJ, on the NFL report, ready. we have. Passport's already. We have Pep Hamilton, longtime quarterback coach and offensive coordinator in the NFL, breaking down some of the things that he's seen at the quarterback position that have adapted and changed over the last couple of years. This is fascinating. Stay with us. You go into your
0: shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring,
3: Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer alongside Jane Slater filling in for Steve Weich. and I have been excited about this next segment all day long. Pep Hamilton, longtime NFL offensive coordinator and quarterback coach with Pep Talk. I think it's kind of corny, Pep, but I kind of dig it, actually, at the same time. Um, I'm curious about our conversation, and I want you to elaborate on it that we had yesterday about the evolution of the quarterback spot, what you're seeing in how this position maybe is thought of now as opposed to a little while ago and how it's being played as opposed to a little while ago.
6: Yeah, that's a great point. I I think we're in the midst of a transition of sorts uh, with the quarterback position. Now we're still, I think, as a league, we're searching for the identity of what winning quarterback play looks like. And, um, you know, we often talk about the National Football League being a copycat league, uh, being somewhat trend-driven. And uh, that seems to be the case uh, right now, not just from a schematic standpoint, but even from the standpoint of of how we look at, evaluate, and actually install game plans for the quarterback position. Um, You know, there's been a change. You know, you think back over recent years. In the last ten years, for sure, uh, you've had Brady's, the Drew Brees, uh, the the pocket mm-hmm. style passers, and, and we've done everything that we could to to make sure uh, from a scheme standpoint. I'm talking from a coaching standpoint that we protect that quarterback, that we limit and, and pretty much eliminate any chances of that quarterback getting hit. And uh, and but o- organically, uh, the talent pool has changed. And, uh, and we have mm-hmm. a different style of quarterback in the talent pool because of what, what, what types of offensive systems they use in college football. But I think more importantly, it's changed. And, and, and it's changed because of just Pat Mahomes and the success that he's had. Everybody wants a quarterback that can improvise, that's a playmaker, that can run around and, and just have fun with the football. Well, there's a problem when you play the game that way. There's only one Pat Mahomes. And and we yep. often talk about in, in coaches' meetings. All right, the plan for the quarterback is just as just as important as the skill set of that quarterback. But Pat Mahomes, uh, he came into a situation to where it was really a perfect storm. It was a playoff team in Kansas City. All right, when when he started playing, you know, when he became the starter, uh, not only did they have a really good football team, but they you know they have one arguably one of the best offensive minds to ever coach the game. So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Coach Reed uh, did a great job of making sure that he, you know, he put Pat Mahomes in a position to not have to overthink things and he was able to play off instincts. But let's talk about the facts, okay? Uh, Something that was alarming last year, right? You see Pat Mahomes there, but something that was alarming last year was was the fact that we had an NFL record of 64 starting quarterbacks over the course of the 2022 season. So why did that happen? And how does that happen? Well, it happens as a result of attrition. You know, unlike Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes has uncanny pocket awareness, all right? His vision in the pocket, as well as his his athletic ability and the ability to extend plays and solve problems with his legs is something that we've never seen in the National Football League. He's a combination mm-hmm. of a friend Tarkenton and arguably, you know, some of the best <laughs> passers to ever play in the league. You know, Dan Marino type. He can make every throw that you can imagine. All right. But let's talk about it. 64 quarterbacks played last season. All right. And so why does that happen? I'll say it again. First off, the defenses are so much more athletic than they were 20 years ago. All right. You, mm. you talked a lot, a lot about the potential of Von Miller playing this week, and and then we have the Aaron Donalds. These are undersized guys, uh, you know, relative to, you know, just the position historically. I'm talking about the positions that they play, but what happens now is the defense is filled in 11 guys that can outrun your quarterback, so that makes the game mm-hmm. just a bit different. Where now the quarterback is not thrown from the spot. But I got a couple more points that I want to make. Uh, Let me check my notepad, and then we can scrimmage a little bit, okay? All right, sacks per game (laughs) is on the rise, all right? (laughs) And and why sacks per game on the rise? Well, we have a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks playing, okay? We have Mm -hmm. guys that they don't have the pocket experience. They don't have the progression experience. And you know something that we can't coach? I don't care how good you are. You can't teach and coach experience, all right? It takes time, mm-hmm. right? All right, next point I want to make, 987 scramble plays. That's unheard of. So from a coach's standpoint, that means that a, a lot of times, the play that I'm calling and, 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 and the schedule in which we expect the play to evolve, it, it's just not happening. And, and part of it is the defensive front, the pass rush, the pressures, some of the designer defenses that we're seeing but a a big part of it is also the quarterbacks instinctively now because we have more mobile quarterbacks playing, they're saying okay, I'm going to go through my first read and you know what? Damn the second read, take off and just scramble and try and make a play, right? Mm -hmm. Let's make it fun a bit, right? And uh, that makes it a bit of a challenge sometimes to protect them because you don't know where he's going to be or where you should expect him to be with regards to where he is in the pocket, All right." Last thing and last point that I want to make and then let's uh, scrimmage, as I mentioned. All right, 30%, all right, that number. All right, QB, QB carries up 30% since 2020, all right? It's since 2020. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a lot of plays are being called where it's expected that the quarterback is going to run the ball. But you know what else is going to happen? The quarterback is going to get some hot leather in his face, you know? he's going to get hit. (laughs) All right. Right. And, and we know that's the reason, all right. A plus B equals C that algorithm. Everybody's got to go back and look at, okay, what does winning quarterback look like? All right. How's it going to happen? Right. Well, getting your quarterback hit. All right. That attrition we talked about may mean at times that your quarterback won't be, won't be available. And that's a different issue. All right. And and I, I was talking with Jane and, and we talked about this a bit, you know, we're talking about the Cowboys. All right at some point, just the way things are trending, it may make more sense to start to de-emphasize the quarterback position. Now, you can't Mm -hmm. win without a good quarterback. You can't win without a quarterback that can function from the pocket in obvious passing situations. No. You can't win that way. We understand that. But I think it's going to cycle back to okay, the fantasy owners aren't going to like the fact that you're going to hand the ball off just a little more on first and second down, right? to make sure that you stay out of third in obvious passing situations, right? Third and long, right? Okay, you look at the teams that are winning, yeah. okay? You look at the San Francisco 49ers. They call more runs on first and second down than any other team in the league, right? You look at what Coach McCarthy's doing down in Dallas with Dak. Dak is handing the ball off and then retracting the ball on play action passes and he's somewhat very efficient right now, right? He's playing good football. They're, winning, they're playing winning football, right? Uh, even with Tua in Miami, a couple weeks back against the Denver Broncos defense, All right? Right? They ran the ball very well. Okay, and and Tua mm-hmm. was able to get the ball out when his back foot hit the ground. That wasn't the case against Buffalo. But my, my point is, we may have to de-emphasize the quarterback position. More importantly, we do not want our quarterbacks to get hit. Seth, Hutt, your turn. No. Okay,
4: but, r- you don't. but real quick, Pat, as much as I love the it's been the It's been that Ted talk before I let you go. How much of this is just the poor play of the offensive line too, though? I mean, are you having to limit what your quarterback is doing? Because we're not seeing the best offensive line play right now or healthy offensive linemen.
6: Well, 2.5 seconds should be the maximum amount of time that the quarterback is holding the ball in the pocket. That's not the offensive line's fault that the quarterback is dropping back checking one, two, three, scrambling, and sometimes when they scramble, they get caught. So uh, it's a quarterback's job yeah. to know where to go with the ball and to play on schedule.
4: That was I'm
3: good ble- stuff. The thing
6: that, I was sent, that we were sent
3: during this, Pep, that blew my mind from our research department, look at this, 786 quarterback hits through the first four weeks. That's the most in the history of the NFL in terms of quarterback hits through the first four weeks. It's just, it's remarkable. So your point driven home tremendously. Pep talk. I, I, I actually just kind of leaned back during this pep and just kind of like soaked it Same. all in. Like it was like a, it was like a class that I was just in. Pep, I
4: appreciate it. Sitting here it. taking notes. Hey,
6: it's a show taking within notes. the show. You know, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> pep, appreciate it, man. Can't wait to have you back on the
3: show, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, coming up on the NFL Report, we got Baldy breaking things down. Is Christian McCaffrey the perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense? Baldy's going to break that down, plus the red zone issues for the Cowboys in this big one. More NFL Report coming up.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
1: Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, Jane Slater filling in for Steve Weich, and this is my favorite segment every Thursday. It's Baldy's favorite <laughs> films. And 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 and, and Baldy,
5: before we go, favorite movie. What is your favorite film of all time? Summer of 1975, probably before you and Jane were born. Jaws came out. It was. Um, <laughs> yes! That movie, it's still, I don't know how many times I've seen it. You know, 50, 100. I can literally recite that movie line by line. Um, my favorite movie, the, the story never gets old. No. It's the perfect film,
3: buddy. It's the perfect it film. I actually did Quint's that- monologue. I did Quint's monologue in in high school acting class. I did. I swear Are to you God, I, I did the entire thing of the Indianapolis. I mean- the entire thing. We'll do it another time. But listen, let's let's move on to actually your 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 real favorite films, which is football. Let's be honest. Yeah. And Christian McCaffrey and how he operates in this Kyle Shanahan offense. It, it was interesting that that. Now the 49ers, it feels like, his teammates, Baldy, are figuring out that he's not just this piece that can be in the passing game, that can be out in space, that he can be a power runner between the tackles as well. He can do it all in this offense.
5: He can, and he's done it really since he first got there. I mean, 11 days after the trade from Carolina last year. I mean, I remember against the Rams, he was just a safety valve right here. I mean, well, this play last week was ridiculous. I mean, there's one guy to beat, Ketrell Clark. He jumps right over the top of him right there. But, you know, you mentioned between the tackles. Like, he's going to, you know, he's like, he's like running water. He's just going to find um, the opening, wherever that Love is. Love that. And that's how he moves. He moves like he's just running water. And he's just, his vision, he just never misses. And when there's his man to beat, where he can only block so many, he'll make his man make. And even right here, like, he's the backside of this three receiver route and if they don't like it front side they come to the Texas route on the back side he's the perfect complement to how they space things Mm. in their screen game how they space things in the passing game he's literally the perfect fit but to your point James one of the reasons why is because his ability to run it and pound it between the tackles like he did at Stanford and then to get out there on the edge Mm -hmm. behind Trent Williams or you know, you know, pick a player out there, Debo or Kittle, whoever it might be. Like he's excellent at setting his blockers up. Mm-hmm.
4: You know what's fascinating. I was just looking at the entry report uh, as we look on the other side of the uh, ball in the offense for the Cowboys. You know, when they drafted Tyler Smith, they were hoping that he'd be part of the best starting five. And I think it's been mm-hmm. over two thousand snaps between the preseason, the regular season, and the postseason. We've never seen all five of those guys out there ahead of this one, Baldy. It looks like Zach Martin and Tyron Smith are going to be good to go. They had full participation today, so it's looking very, very optimistic. Can it help the red zone? Because last week watching this game, I've seen the Cowboys drive the ball down the field numerous times. We're talking 10 play drives, and then on that first drive of the game, I see them go three times to the tight ends, and then you and I were joking about this. You hand it off to Tony Pollard. One's trying to go right, the other's trying to go left, and they settle for a field goal. Should we be concerned about these red zone woes? Will getting their best starting five help them? I know there's a lot of their – I need you to talk me down. I need a little therapy as it relates well, to this yes. Cowboys offense. I, mean, I, I just don't know what to make of them.
5: I mean, just look, from from a league st- standpoint, Buffalo and Dallas have the most red zone appearances through the first month of the season. They've both been there 19 times. But just to give you some – Clarity here. Buffalo has scored 13 touchdowns. The Cowboys just scored seven. I mean, the red zone has been the dead zone for the Dallas Cowboys. And <laughs> if you're not maniacal about your red zone offense, you're not looking at it the right way. And so it, it's it's a timing issue right now. It's an execution issue. issue. It's the type of plays they're running. Um, I think all those things are factored. But look, they got, you saw the game against Arizona. They got down there four straight series in a row in the second half. They kicked two mm-hmm. field goals. That's all they got. Yep. Cause they got six stinking points against Arizona. They lose the game. Um, they had problems last week. I mean, I know they put up 38, defense scored two touchdowns, but they were bad last week. There's Dewan Bentley jumping right in front of a Dak Prescott pass. Um, you know, they, they're under pressure. So, you know, we've seen three backup linemen against Arizona, we saw a backup left tackle last week uh to get their five in there you would hope that the production will get better jane with their best players up front out there boy i'm curious r- real quick it, it, would the even just the threat of
3: dak using his legs change things for them in the red zone
5: it can on certain plays um you know if you look at lamar jackson right now and what he's doing in the red zone mm-hmm. he ran he ran for two touchdowns last week now I'm not comparing Dak to Le- to Lamar. But if you look at what's going on yeah. around the league, and I know you just had Pep on, I mean quarterbacks are running. I mean, Justin Herbert this year has already run for three touchdowns. Like he didn't run for one last year. So I think anytime you put the quarterback in a position where you have to account for him, whether you know you're at the eighteen yard line or the eight yard line or the four, anytime you have to account for the quarterback as a runner, I do believe it mm-hmm. makes your offense more difficult to defend.
4: All right, Buffalo This is Bills. the last one I have for you, What's Baldy. standing out on if film you can be for quick. you right yeah, now? Yeah,
3: Jane, do it. Jane, do it.
5: Go ahead. Well, Buffalo.
4: I'm, I'm just curious. We've got Bills. Yeah, Bills this weekend. What's standing out in film for you?
5: You know, right now, you know, they made a change. Obviously, Leslie Frazier stepped away and Sean McDermott took over the, the play yeah. calling. It's impeccable. And they have a lot of new faces in there. You saw Tredavious White get hurt last week. Dane Jackson comes in. It, Terrell Bernard is a huge upgrade to me over Tremaine Edmonds because of his speed and playmaking ability. But they lead the league in sacks. They lead the league in interceptions right now. And you watch him against Miami Jane, like they stretch you because of their speed, sideline to sideline. And if you try to take deep shots, their zone and their zone team, they just expand vertically and you can't get the ball over their head. And so, as, as Tua tries to hold it, he doesn't hear, but you see you know, Epinesa getting the passing lane right there. But they you, they couldn't get the ball down the field over Buffalo's head. So safety just kept backing up, kept mm. everything in front of them, and the longer Tua held it, the better the chance to rush, whether it was Rousseau or Floyd or at Oliver, these guys were, were getting to Tua and disrupting things. That stands out, and I think that the, the addition of the two guards, Connor McGovern from Dallas and drafting Osiris Torrance, they're much better mm-hmm. inside than they ever were last year and they're running the ball much better yeah. and they're protecting Josh much better up front.
3: It'd be nice, Baldy, if they could be part of that group, right, that has deep defensive lines like we've seen with the Niners and Philly and, and teams like that. That'd be a, be a great addition for this Buffalo Bills team up front in that front seven. You would also hold your, hold your own at a table on the Orca with robert shaw with richard dreyfuss just talking about war wounds baldy you'd be all over that you'd be all over that just
5: sitting there going scar for scar with these guys well, i can find them for five thousand, but i can catch them and kill them for 10 i mean we'll go line for <laughs> line you know, i'll go right down there and talk about the the us you know ss indianapolis and how many men went in the water how many men came out and the sharks got to rest i got it yeah like you know yeah we can i could do that scene you got in it. one take just like Robert Shaw. Give me a couple beers, James. I'll do it in one take, Just like Robert Shaw did. I'll get to play.
3: I'll get on a plane for that. Different. I'll never put a life jacket on again. Love it. Love it. Baldy, appreciate it. See you next <laughs> Thursday, man. You got it. Jane. James, James you back. Coming up with the NFL <laughs> reporters, we finish this off. What three-in-one team do you have faith in? What one and three team do you have faith in? Interesting. Come back a little bit more.
1: It's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Well, we're wrapping this thing up, Jane, you and I. How about a 3-in-1 team that sits right now that will not make the postseason?
4: Ooh, I'm struggling with this one. I'm struggling with this one. Why don't you go ahead and give me a 3-1 team that won't make the playoffs? Let's go the Bucs.
3: Ooh, okay. The Bucs. I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. Just too tough of a division. I think that might play into an in account here in Seattle. How about a 1-3 team that will make the postseason? Go.
4: I gotta think the Bengals turned this one around, James. I know it's a tough division. I know that, uh, I think it's what, 14% of teams that start one and three make the playoffs, Uh, but give me the Bengals to turn this one around.
3: I like the pick of the Bengals. I'm going to go with, how about the Minnesota Vikings, a playoff team a year ago, won a lot of one-score games. I think maybe they can turn around late in this season with Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell. Jane, thank you so much for stopping by, filling in for Steve Weich. It just felt more comfortable, I'm not going to lie. More NFL report coming up on Monday after Week 5 games. Steve will be back. It'll be a blast.